Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. On the Gagan Pod this week, was Sam Kerr robbed of the Ballon d'Or? We have former Matilda Amy Duggan and Premier League star Thomas Sorensen jumping in to give us their thoughts. We'll take a look ahead to the Women's World Cup draw, which is this weekend, and talk about all the big issues from the Premier League, La Liga, and also the Socceroos countdown to the World Cup. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gagan Pod. In the pod this week, we've got former Matilda Amy Duggan and also former Premier League star Thomas Sorensen. We love to start the show with your best and worst from the weekend. So, Thomas, let's start. What was your best moment from the weekend of football? Uh, It has to be uh, the spectacular El Clasico being back, uh, Barcelona being competitive again. And I think, you know, Mark Swartz did an excellent uh, feature on the Up to Sports socials about everything that went on before the game. Uh, it's just a, you know one of the biggest events in, in football and I think the game itself delivered. Uh, I think the, the two teams uh, you know provided uh, great entertainment and you know I predicted Real Madrid to just be tactically a little bit more astute and it proved that way. I think uh, Valverde and Vinicius and, and all the others I think just were that little bit more uh, cohesive uh, than, than the new newly formed Barcelona team. Yeah, they were better in the middle, weren't they, Tommy? That young Barcelona yeah, team just yeah, not quite sure. having the maturity to keep up. Tay, my moment was Manchester United getting a draw with Newcastle. And the reason I said that was because I thought I was going to have <laughs> to sit through the next hour with Bridgie banging on uh, about Newcastle beating us if uh, if that had happened. So I went with that. I'm pretty happy that they're sort of back on the bus. And looking forward to the game tomorrow morning against Tottenham where I hope that we can get all three points. So, favourite moment of the weekend was a nil-all draw, Amy. Fair enough? I know. It sounds terrible. It, was more, it wasn't really about, you know, the favourite moment in football. It was more about making sure I didn't get, you know, given grief for, for hours and hours and hours all week. Speaking of grief, Tommy, what was your least favourite moment of the weekend? Yeah, I've got to pile it on uh, Amy a little bit. Uh, I, I, it's just sad to see that escalating uh, Mason Greenwood saga. I think uh, on Monday he was obviously charged. Um, you know, such a talented player and... Yeah, you really question where he goes from here if he uh, if he has to go into jail or, or what, what comes of it. Um, you know, that's a, a stunning turn of events for for such a uh, an exciting young player. My uh, my bad moment is probably not so bad in the scheme of things. I feel more ripped off this week than anything else, and it's Sam Kerr not winning the Ballon d'Or. Oh, come on! Um, I, I just don't <laughs> understand no. what is going on here. Yes. It's not about the last couple of months' forms, and I know she's in a little bit of a dry spell at the moment. It's about the last season before that. Remember that. Look at all the accolades that she won. Absolutely outstanding. I cannot believe it. Anyway, worst moment. Well, I think that's a good place to start, though, because let's talk about the Ballon d'Or. We had an Australian interest and an Australian connection, but Sam Kerr ends up third uh, with Alexia Pateas winning the award and Beth Mead second. I guess, Amy, is the window closing for Sam Kerr to win this award again in the future? Wow, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, 
I guess we have to go back a little bit and remember when the Ballon d'Or for women started, and that was only in 2018, um, where, uh, you know, we had Ada as our, Hegerberg as our original winner, uh, and then obviously Rapino picked it up in 19. It wasn't awarded in 2020, uh, and then Pateus has won back to back. So, it's it has this flavor of big competitions doesn't it is it is it a chance it was it sam's best chance to date absolutely what does she have to do to win uh win all the awards that she won last year win all the golden boots that she won last year and apparently play in a champions league so you know it all depends on how chelsea goes in the champions league Thomas, last week I suggested to Bridgie that there was an anti-English uh, bias with the voters and because whether it's the men's or the women's award, players at Premier League clubs very rarely win, or in a women's case, the WSL. Do you think that came to pass with the result we saw here or does Beth Mead finishing second perhaps give Sam Kerr hope that she can win it with Chelsea rather than having to go to a Lyon or a Real Madrid or even a Barcelona? No, I think for sure, uh, you know, she can win it at, at Chelsea. Um, I think this is the year that, that um, you know, with the World Cup, um, you know, again, I'm sure she'll end up uh, top of the scoring charts as well in, in the WSL. Again, this season, Chelsea could potentially win uh, the league again. Um, and then the Champions League, I think that poor run they had, uh, we had the Asian Cup where Australia didn't quite, um, you know, produce a trophy or, or a final um, I think there's just a few things that just take a little bit away from from her chances of, of winning. I think Buteas, I think it's just a more complete player. I think that the treble in Spain, obviously, you know, 11 goals in the Champions League. She obviously missed the Euros, but I think she did enough. I think she, she is the best player and I think is deserved um, for this season. But I think, you know, it's not without... Uh, it's not uh, outside the reach of, of Sam Kerr I think with the World Cup if Australia go go deep into the tournament and, he, and she has a similar season for Chelsea she should get it next year for sure I just want to stick up for her a little bit here and give you some stats because Sam went 20 games 20 goals 4 assists last season Alexis went 26 games, 18 goals, 15 assists, plus played nine Champions League games with the two goals. And Beth played 22 games for Arsenal with 11 goals and eight assists, but also played Champions League. So I really think it's about it's about not just um, big games or international games, and I do agree, Tom, I think Sam not playing in some of these games took the shine off that. But you have to be in the headlines every single time you play for club and country and in the Champions League so that you're in the headlines with the journalists around the world. And so in that sense, Thomas, there probably is a little bit of bias there. With Pateus missing the Euros, have we massively overstated the importance of international football here? I mean, you look at the the top five, Oberdorf, Bon Mati and Pop finished sixth. They all had great Euros tournaments. I think if Pop makes the final and Germany win, it's a totally different story. But obviously she was injured for that final. And Beth Mead kind of burnt out as the Euros went on, still ended up as player of the tournament. So have we actually just got the balance wrong of how much women's club football is now weighted in giving these awards? And if that's the case, the WSL is a far more competitive league than the Spanish league. Pateus's numbers are amazing because Barcelona get to batter most of the competition each week. Yeah, you know, I, I think as well, you know, it, you know, in an ideal world, it, it has to be a broad, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, a World Cup or Euros. It should be a, a broad picture of what has this player done. I think we've seen with on the men's side, 
you know, with Messi and, and Ronaldo still being in contention, still winning despite not producing all the time with the national teams. Um, but but it, it, there's also you know, we can't get around it. There's also a lot of politics in it, and and you know headlines. You know you got to be uh, at the front of of the pages, and and you know I think Barcelona, you know, with with their full stadiums and 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 everything that goes on there, I think there's that you know she's probably got a little advantage in, in that respect. Uh, you know, from UEFA and and the the journalists in in, in Europe, I think. What about, you mentioned the politics, Thomas. Um, Sam Kerr didn't go. I, now, I must admit, I was editing a mini-match and didn't have the sound on as I was watching the award ceremony. And every time they cut sort of to the nominees, I'd see Miedemar and I'd see Beth Mead. And I'm thinking, does the director is the director framing Sam Kerr out of the shot? What's going on here? <laughs> Turns out Kerr didn't go. So, in like, it's it's a bit of a snub. And when we say Kerr represents us on an international stage... Like, she literally didn't represent Australia. She didn't go. So how damaging could that be going forward in a political sense? Uh, again, I, I think, you know, you, you should, you know, you should go. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great honour. Like she, she's the third, you know, on paper, third best player in the world. Uh, it's a big occasion. And as you said, there, there was there was a lot of players further down the list that, that went as well. And, you know, going back to the politics, it has an influence as well. You know, as much as you 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 want to say it, I don't want to say it. You know, there there are just people that uh, might take a little bit offence to it, um, and when it comes to to voting in the future, so you know, hopefully she has a fantastic year, becomes goals, you know, top goal scorer of the World Cup, uh, you know, gets Australia into a final, and then nobody can argue. Uh, you know, that's what we would love to see. She deserves. Definitely uh, to, to, to win it uh, one time, and, and I hope it's, it's this coming year for sure. Who actually is the best player in the world? Pateus is still rehabbing an ACL injury and w- won't play the majority, if not all, of the club season. So if I had to choose right now and pick a player tomorrow, I would probably pick Pop. But Bon Marti, if I wanted to build a team around someone, Bon Marti is only 24 and Oberdorf's even younger, only 20. So you got some good choices there. Amy, who actually is the best player in the women's game in the world at the moment? That's such a tough question, isn't it? And I think if I was normally going to look to that USA-England game to have a look at, you know, the real top stocks there, but um, not that the game disappointed because it didn't and obviously England came away with the win, but I don't think anyone really stood out for me. Does it come from Europe or does it come from US? Um, There were some really interesting US names on that Ballon d'Or list as well and... um, you know, they, they're going through a big change too with a lot of their older players now transitioning out of the game or moving forward to next year and it'll possibly be their last big tournament. But you had names like Trinity Rodman coming through. You know, her dad obviously is a big star. Is that about uh, what she's actually doing on the park or is it about recognition? Um Name recognition is what I mean there. But, yeah, I'd have to agree at the moment. Alex Pop has just – she gets ahead on everything. She's first to the ball. She has this fighting mentality. I'd love to see some of these German girls move out of their comfort zone and out of the Bundesliga and and into um, some of these other – competitions around the world. The and, WSL and one off the sport. I think that would, that would be the one we'd like <laughs> to see. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, well, you, you mentioned the USA. Their highest ranked player, uh, Katarina Macario, is also rehabbing an ACL. So uh, a rare absence from the top of the leaderboard from the States, but they are the defending World Cup champions and everyone is going to be keenly anticipating what group they are drawn into at 5pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday on Optus Sport. 
Before we talk about the other 31 teams or the other 31 balls, let's talk about Australia's. Amy Duggan, we know what group Australia is going to be in. We know that we're going to have one game in Sydney, one group game in Brisbane, one group game in Melbourne, and then whether we finish first, second, or wherever, our our destiny will be outlined from theirs. But at least we know who we're going to play in what city as of Saturday. The question is, who do we want to be drawn in our group? (laughs) Wow. It is out of our hands, and it sounds a little cliche to say, the balls are in the air. We have to wait and see where they land. But um, without specifically picking teams, which I'm sure I'll do by the weekend, I think it would be, um, let's just remember, by virtue, we miss the top six until you know we, we head into the next round because we're in the same pot as the top six. So that's kind of cool. We, uh, we can't draw Sweden, <laughs> who we are playing in November, because we uh, seem to draw them at every major tournament. So let's think about what is best possible case scenario. And this is just my opinion, of course. I think for me, it'd be nice to have an opener that gives us confidence. So that'd be wonderful. And then a good but winnable battle for our second game. And then a closing game, which allows us to use the depth in our squad. Because I think that the big thing about these tournaments is players being able to rotate through the squad, not just having the same starting 11 all the time. Everybody, one, getting the experience of playing in a home World Cup, but two, having the depth and the strength to be able to get the job done. Um, with some of your top players not quite there. So that's how I'd like it to look. But as I said, it's all up in the air. Tommy, I'm going to put you on the spot because I know who I want, but I'll leave that until last. <laughs> so pot, pot two, we can't get an Asian AFC opponent, but who, who do you like the sound of out of Canada, the Netherlands, Brazil, Norway or Italy? You know, I think uh, you know Italy would, uh, would, would be, uh, I think, a, a decent draw. Italy or Norway, um, you know, again, I think Netherlands are always strong. Canada have obviously come on a lot, like the men's team as well. Uh, Brazil, we know what they we're gonna get. So, you know, I think out Norway, Italy, potentially Italy would be the best draw when you know when you can't draw any of the Asian teams, um, and and you would have a good chance. I think the, the, you know you're in the pot one, so so you 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 know you you are you know outside of of United States and Germany and England you can't France you can't pick them so which would opens the group up and and as Amy said you you want potentially a pot 3 pot 4 game as as your first one and then you know the pot 2 game uh, as your second uh, i think that would be the ideal uh, scenario and uh, Italy i think will be a probably the best draw or Brazil, because at least we know we, what we're yeah, getting yeah. right and we yeah. seem to meet them a lot and we're quite comfortable uh, generally in getting the job done. There's one name in pot three, Tommy. <laughs> Do you want Denmark? Do you want Denmark to Ooh. end up in Australia's group? You know, like, uh, if I think sort of solely, uh, you know, uh, from a Danish perspective, I would want New Zealand or Australia for sure in that pot one. Uh, you know, the others, I don't think we have a chance. Um, but, you know, I, I would love... Uh, you know, for, for Denmark to play Australia, I think it would be a great occasion and, and hopefully it will be the third game down here in Melbourne where I've got a ticket. So that would be even better. <laughs> I think for crowds, uh, it would be great if Australia's group got, as you say, Amy Brazil. We know what they can do. The Netherlands, we know that they're always noisy and colourful. I think Republic of Ireland would be a great draw. That would, oh, yeah, from, and there's a couple of names there, isn't yeah. there, that we're, um, we're used to seeing here in Australia too. So From pot three, I think I think Ireland would be great. And then pot four, pot four is sort of, um, you know, the, the total melting pot. But if Chile get through the playoffs, we know there's a huge Chilean population in Australia as well. So I think it would be nice if we could draw them. Of course, we can only draw one South American team uh, max. So it would be either Brazil 
or chilly, depending on how the draw goes. Uh, this is pretty, pretty nervous with anticipation here, Amy, especially if we end up with one of the playoff winners, because it means that we're not going to know who's in our group until, until February. Yeah, that is true, but you also have to look at their world rankings and you just plan for what you can plan for. And I'm sure, you know, in the national team environment, they're already thinking about what that looks like uh, as a scenario. So um, I'm super excited for Saturday. I'm hoping we don't draw a playoff spot, but at the same time, it keeps that anticipation building and, and just keeps this momentum rolling. And like Tom said, ticket sales are absolutely crazy at the moment. I think they sold more tickets in a day than in the whole first week for France. So uh, my main concern right now is let's hope there's enough flights to, one, get people to Australia and, two, get them around the country <laughs> to be where they need to be on time so that they can uh, attend all these matches. And and let's not forget games in New Zealand as well. My, my one wish, I, I kind of don't mind who's in Australia, Australia's group. I just hope the US and England end up in groups that are based in Australia. I, I you know, wh- I, as much as we're co-hosting the World Cup, it's not going to feel quite as much like we're hosting the World Cup. Yeah, we're a little selfish. If England end up in, in New Zealand or if the US end up in New Zealand, I think if you win Group C, you may not necessarily have to play in Australia until the final. So the last thing I want is to see England play six games in New Zealand and then we get a little taste of them right at the end when they come and play the final. I think that would be a letdown. So We'll just have to take a trip, Tay. We'll just have to take a trip over there. The Socceroos. Let's move on to Australian men's football. Optus Sport had an exclusive catch-up with Jackson Irvine and Connor Metcalf this week. Let's hear a little clip of Jack Austin talking to the two players about their time over at St Pauli. Um, yeah, from my from my perspective, obviously someone who's been kind of involved for for a long time now. Um, the dynamic never really changes so much because one because of the environment that the players and the staff have created over a number of years and the culture of the squad doesn't ever really. Um, it means that you can make these kinds of changes and the core feeling kind of stays the same all the time. I think everybody comes in with an understanding of what it is you're there to do and and um, the kind of. Um, levels you have to get to 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 maintain that and um uh you know obviously off the back end of the the june the um, playoff window and going in getting two good results um against new zealand i think it just shows as you say that you can bring in new faces all the time and that continuity kind of remains the same um and like a few of the uh, over here in Australia and New Zealand uh, taking the headlines of people like Garen Quall and Jason Cummings and um, obviously I think kind of you played with them more in the second game what's it like to have uh, those sorts of characters in and around the team nowadays? No, it's good you know having the cum dog up front um, Do you use that nickname? Huh? He, he likes that nickname uh, in and around the team? Yeah, he, he loves it he loves it um, No, it was he's, it was the first time I've ever met him he fit into the squad like he was a senior player um even you know with Garang you know all the rumors before he signed and um he just trained like no pressure on him and he's young and he's got a very bright future ahead and so it was really good for them to get their first cap and obviously just go out and play and yeah, it was amazing. Don't forget, the DFB Pokal is live and exclusive on Optus Sport, and you can see those two players at 3am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday. But uh, we just heard Connor Metcalf and Jackson Irvine there talking about the new personalities in the Socceroos squad and the admissions that some players were meeting each other for the first time, like Garen Quoll and Jason Cummings. And Tommy, 
I, as we count down to the World Cup, those dynamics are all important, aren't they? Because I'm sure, regardless of uh, who wins the World Cup, what we will be hearing out of their camp is that they were a unified and harmonious squad. It's very rare that you hear about a team at a World Cup or a, or a Euros that are having infighting and aren't getting along and win in spite of it. As long as it's not France. <laughs> uh, we stayed uh, in the same town as France uh, during the 2010 World Cup, and that was absolutely mayhem. But, uh, yeah, no, you want you want a, a cohesive squad, and, and that's why, you know, obviously media is going to try to throw, you know, uh, some bolters in there and last-minute changes. Um, but but as a manager, you, you want to go there with a settled squad with, with hopefully a, a few informed players that you can draft in last minute. But, yeah, you, you want to... You know, because you you are you know hopefully potentially uh, together for three four weeks, uh, and those things you know has to gel. You can't have too much distraction and too many odd personalities that that doesn't fit in. Uh, but but the ones that you mentioned, Quall and Cummings, you know Cummings sounds like a an absolute energy bomb, and 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 I'm sure he can offer a lot off the field as well, which you which you need. You you need a bit of humor, a bit of. You know, uh, everyone uh, needs a team joke. Of stuff. course, you do, and you're together for such a long time. If everyone was dead boring, uh, like 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 I was, uh, you know, then uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, uh, you know, um, <laughs> it would have been a, a dire dire time. But you know, you got to have different personalities, and it seems to to be that case. One, one thing though, I mean, we just heard uh, the guys there talking about having not met the players or known them. What do uh, bolters and last-minute additions do to the group, especially if they come in late at the expense or because of an injury or a selection decision on someone who's been there forever? Thomas, did you ever have this on the eve of a Euros or a World Cup where someone came in super late or was in great form and made a late run and it meant that you know the, the dressing room had this new face and new voice very unexpectedly having come from the clouds? You know, I think we I've tried both things. Um, you know, I've... I've I've tried, you know, where you, you drag people to the World Cup, uh, you know, because of things they've done, you know, in the past, uh, and it hadn't, you know, it, it never ended up working out uh, because they were not informed. So, I, you know, it depends on how it happens. You know, if if you obviously, you know, if we you see like a Aaron Moy goes down with an injury and then you have to draft someone in, it, it, it has a negative effect because you lose a big player and somebody else comes in. But if you have an exciting player, you, you know, we can look at, at Daniel Asani. If he, like he's started the A-League, if he, if he can continue that into the World Cup, there'll be an excitement. Uh, uh, and, and he could potentially take a, a Marco Tilio spot. And, and I think that would offer a lot to the, the team because they know they've got a, a player with it with some X factor that can come on last 10 minutes uh, and, and can turn the game around. So, so I think, you know, they can have a, a really positive effect. And, you know, I, I, I experienced it uh, when players were, you know, unexpectedly late uh, coming in. And, and I think, you know, everyone felt that you know those you know we've got 23 players so so those 21 22 23 you can sort of sometimes take a bit of a gamble uh and and it might just be situational players that that might have a big role but but you know that they can do something and it's always nice to have that in the back pocket uh, as a player and as a manager so so i could see uh, a few uh, making a run here late for, for the Socceroos as well. Well, th- well, they might have to because, Amy, we had a, we've had a horrendous week of oh injuries. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Aiden Hustic injured his ankle, had to come off playing for Verona. Nathaniel Atkinson, also a lower leg injury, playing for Hearts against Fiorentina in the Conference League. Uh, and we've got so many players that aren't starting or aren't getting game time, whether it's Matty Ryan, Bailey Wright, Aaron Moy, Awamabil, Riley McGree. 
It's it's stop. You can stop now. <laughs> no, I wish I could stop. I mean, it's so disruptive. I mean, I know it's an, a mid-season World Cup, and you know, Paolo Dybala, for instance, went down for Argentina. Uh, Ngolo Kanté has been ruled out for France. Mm. Everyone's got issues, but gee. Australia, we, we need these players, we need these faces, and they're, yeah. they're all going down. Yeah, and let, let's just hope a lot of these uh, aren't too serious. Uh, Rustic, obviously, I'm not sure, I haven't seen the um, the report to come out how long he's going to be out for. Nathaniel Atkinson, that looked nasty. He left on crutches after the game and in a moon boot, so that suggests it's more than like a couple of weeks. But when we start talking about the guys that aren't playing at the moment and what Arnie's plans are, he, he's been very vocal about telling the players that it's up to them to be match fit. It's up to them to be ready. Where does that come from? They're they're just going to have to be doing the work on the outside. And that's where the communication between, you know, your national team environment and your club environment is really, really important because there is some tension there. There always will be. If you're playing every moment of every game and and your national team wants more, it's hard to balance the load. But when they're not getting the game time that you need them to get, sure, they're in top class training environments but they're going to have to do a little bit of extra work Um, and then you know as you said you throw in some of the players that are now coming out of a pre-season and into the A-League Arzani, McLaren, Cummings we talk about those players and that puts pressure on some of those players that aren't getting minutes and I guess you know it's a good problem to have in one sense for Arnie because he's got to make choices but on the other sense it's hard because sometimes as Tom said you want to pick the players that are in the best form and, and I think we have to remember as well, you know, which doesn't bode well for injured players is the normal preparation you have for a World Cup, which is three, four weeks. It, it's now only a week. There's no preparation games hardly. Uh, so you more or less straight into it. Uh, and, and, you know, that's uh, we're only five weeks away now. So so there's no chance to, to play three friendlies as, as you know, as I was part of. We, we played three or four friendlies leading into the World Cup where you can, if you hadn't played, you could you could gain some fitness and you can gain some form. Uh, it's not happening this time. Yeah, in some good news, though, we did see Harry Suter pull on the boots and play, you know, a good um, bit over half, I think it was, for the under-21 side just uh, to get some minutes under his belt. So it's good to see him back on the paddock. One place where we assumed there would be minutes available for players is the A-League. But, Thomas, the Marco Tilio situation, it went to another level this week. And, and I think all credit to John O'Williams from Network 10, the, the sideline reporter, for just flat out asking Kisnorbo about it after the game. And Kisnorbo got a lot of support from the Melbourne City fans with his order of priorities, which, of course, was winning games for his club. It, it almost seems, Thomas, as though it's Socceroos fans and neutrals that want Tilio to play. Melbourne City fans seem pretty happy with PK and how he's running the team. It's a really tough dynamic for someone like Tilio, who now might have to be resigned to... You know, and he was the victory cigar at the weekend. He came on at the end of stoppage time and didn't barely got to touch the ball. So... What happens in these last handful of weeks before the World Cup comes around? Um, I, I think uh, the worst thing he can do now, Tilio, is is, is starting to uh, you know to to comment on things and and be vocal. I think he just needs to get his head down. Uh, I'm sure he'll get chances. Uh, and and to be fair, I, I don't think his performances had has earned him a, a starting spot. You know, I think Lech, Lech he has started really well. Uh, uh, this season, uh, you got McLaren, obviously, and then Naboot. Uh, you know that's where he potentially can can push himself in. Uh, you know, so it's it's tough. You know, he's he's at a, you know, one of the biggest, the best squads in the A League, uh, and 
you know, sometimes you, you just got to, you know, <laughs> wait for your chance and, and keep working hard, keep putting his, his, his head forward in training. And, uh, yeah, as I said, the worst thing he can do now is, is starting to get people around him to, to go to the papers and everything. It's frustrating, but, you know, sadly that's, uh, you know, you're a young player, sadly that's, you know, sometimes the name of the game um, and you, you just got to fight through it. One player in stark contrast who is getting the game time, and we heard in the, the chat, you'll, uh, you'll be able to read about it uh, in Jack Austin's article, uh, Connor Metcalf talking about how the perception of Daniel Arzani coming back to the A-League, he's been maybe harshly judged for that, but Aaron Moy did something similar after his time at Bolton and uh, his initial stint in the United Kingdom. So, Amy, it's great to see Arzani ripping it up. I mean, he was, he was head and shoulders in the first half man of the match for MacArthur against Adelaide at the weekend, and his performances through the cup against, you know, admittedly NPL opponents for the most part, but now that he's carried it into the A-League men's season, it appears to be uh, sort of reheating exactly where we were four years ago, where he's making the latest of late runs. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he's a talent. There's no doubt about it. Like, he, he's beautiful to watch on the ball. I enjoy watching him play. Um, I think we're really blessed to have him in the A-League this season. As you said, a man of the match performance for MacArthur and a, and a great goal to boot. It's just lovely to see him coming into form and again if you take your if you know if you put your club hat on wonderful um the environment's obviously working for him but if you put your you know Aussie selector hat on um how great to have a player coming into really good form at the right time and I just think if you wrote him off previously you weren't thinking about the class that he actually has as a player. I think for me, uh, not knowing Daniel, um, but just watching him play, it, it seems more of a mental uh, a mental game for me with him. Just If you can get his head right, his feet can do the talking. You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. We're going to have a quick break on the Gagan Pod, and when we return, we'll talk Premier League, La Liga, and also a bit of WSL. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In the pod this week, we've got former Matilda Amy Duggan and Premier League star Thomas Sorensen, and it is time to talk about the Premier League. Tommy, I'll throw out a nice open-ended question for you. Liverpool, are they back? Uh, you know, it was a fantastic win for them. Uh, I think they needed it uh, for sure, um, under a lot of pressure, had, didn't have the start that they wanted, a lot of question marks. Uh, I think they answered a fair bit of it. They stood tall. Um, I think... You know, club changed a few things, especially down that right-hand side. Uh, James Milner playing right back, Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, trying to just square up against uh, Foden and Cancelo down that uh, left-hand side of City. And and I think it worked. You know, they, they soaked up uh, the pressure, uh, didn't have that much possession, but, you know, the... the you know the the amount of quality they had on the counter attack. Uh, you know, obviously Salah getting a goal, which was great of him. You know, since his that that quick hat trick in the Champions League against Rangers. 
you know, so hopefully things are starting to trend. We need, you know, and I'm sure I never doubted that they would be back up uh, near the top. But, you know, hopefully we can get them back and, and actually being contenders. Um, you know, that's and, and, and for, for City, I think it, it doesn't really matter. I think they, they're still, you know, they, they are still going to march on. Uh, there was a little blip and, you know, on another day they, they could have won this game. But uh, I think Pep maybe overthought the tactics a little bit with the three at the back and uh, they they were pretty exposed at times um, you know a little bit too aggressive I found in, in that back five people out of position and yeah and Liverpool punished them and yeah it, it just opens everything up now yeah, the goal the goal was a great one from Seller and great vision from Allison to put that ball forward and Seller so, showing strength on the ball to the defender probably should have done better in, in that situation. But you know when you've got Mo Salah in front of goal, you don't expect anything less than for him to finish. So wonderful goal and well deserved. Liverpool, um, you know they played very well as you said. Klopp changed the tactics there. He does have a good record against Guardiola, <laughs> and I think we mentioned that last week. I really do think Anfield uh, and just the atmosphere had a big influence on this game um, as well. I, I, I kind of agree with Thomas, though. Like, I don't think Man City will be too worried about it. Um, they're still right up the top. It's Liverpool that has the work to do and now has to back up that performance. But I wanted to stay on Manchester City because they were defeated, They're seemingly coming into this game with the stronger formal. Maybe that nil-all draw in the Champions League was indicative of, of things just starting to cool off for them. But, Tommy... Pep Guardiola, there's always going to be questions about him in the big games. Does he overthink it? The high-pressure scenario of the knockout rounds of the Champions League is normally where this appears. But over in the UK, we had Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher arguing about whether Pep had played a three at the back or a five at the back. So even they, you know, the experts were really struggling to work out exactly what Pep had done. Did he overthink it again in a big pressure game? You know, I think he, he you know, in, obviously in hindsight, I think he got it wrong. Um, you know, sometimes if it ain't broke, uh, you know, you, you know, don't try to fix it. Um, you know, so and you, I think you could see actually that the players weren't used to the system um, and, and they hadn't played together in that formation. I think sometimes with Pep and, and I've, I've seen it with a lot of other managers, you know, you sit there and you, you think and you, you look at it on paper and. And, and on paper, it, it was the right thing to do. You're trying to, you know, take away the strength of Liverpool and but but there's a human part to it as well. There, there's there's something that it, that you can't see on the drawing board, uh, and I think you, it, that came that came out in the game that they they, they got dragged all over the place, uh, you know, in, in, you know, in wrong spots at the wrong time. And I think Liverpool had they been a little bit cooler, I think they could have finished, you know, they could have punished them even further. Uh, there was a fair few situations where, you know, there there was people, you know. In, in great positions to score and, and just they just didn't find them. And I think you're right, like they, they'd had their chances. Obviously, Haaland didn't get on the score sheet too, which I think was the biggest surprise <laughs> to everybody um, that someone had actually been able to stop him. But where do, you, where do you find the balance between trying to change up what you're doing as a coach and sticking to that old mantra of we go out there, we play our game, let them make the changes to try and stop us when you're in such good form and doing so well as you are. Well, when you talk about Neville and Carragher arguing about whether it was five at the back or three, it's probably both. It's probably five five in defence and three in attack. I don't know why that's so hard to understand because when you push five into the midfield, obviously you dominate possession and you relieve a lot of pressure from the back three, but that three, five, two also quickly can turn into a, a five, three, two to allow you to be solid at the back with a potent threat up front, which is obviously, um, you know, what 
what they were expecting. The problem with that is, is that you need to be amazing at it to be able to have that transition within the game going from attack to defence. You need super, super fit wingers who are willing to do the work and the communication has to be absolutely perfect. So to try and change it up, like um, Tom said, is probably why we saw a bit of that not quite sure where we're supposed to be because you need to do this over and over again to be really great at it. Let's stay with the Premier League theme and move on now to Aston Villa. The rumours are swirling about Steven Gerrard. Nothing official and no journalists of of great credibility are starting to roll with it yet, but social media is just a wash of perhaps wannabes trying to get ahead of the story so they can claim that they had it first. Aston Villa are away at Fulham, 5.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Friday. Of course, you can watch it on Optus Sport. This will be Gerrard's 38th game in charge. So far through 37 games, he has picked up the equivalent record of 44 points, which, Thomas, as you would know, is certainly not relegation form. It's enough to avoid relegation, but it's not enough to keep Aston Villa, a club of their size and spending, satisfied. So... If Stevie G doesn't get the result against Fulham, will it be curtains? Uh, I, th- I definitely think that the pressure is starting to build, as you said. And I think it's a little bit of that curse of, of that middle middle part of the Premier League where everyone's got ambitions to get into the top six uh, and are spending a lot of money, um, but not quite getting the res- results. We saw Wolves have, have been in that top half, you know, starting to slide and then the manager goes and it could be a similar situation here at, at Villa um, I, I don't want it to, to happen I, I would like Steven Gerrard to be given uh, more time uh, you know there has been a, a big change of of personnel I think a lot of players have come and gone uh, over the last year and, and it takes time um, but you know that's the name of the game in the Premier League uh, and, and they've got big, big ambitions there so uh, yeah I think this Fulham game is could be it could be the last uh, straw they need to start scoring goals Tommy yeah, yeah. their side like that's it right they're struggling to score what have they got seven goals um, that's the Premier League's joint second fewest this season I think Forest are the same and Wolves are the only ones that are less so you know ultimately it comes it comes down to goals for them right now moving on from the Premier League let's go to La Liga Tommy you said it was your moment of the weekend El Clasico Barcelona beaten 3-1 by Real Madrid and I know Real Madrid looked so impressive and so good, but what a horrendous week for Barcelona. Since we last had the Gegenpod, they drew 3 all with Inter. They were nearly knocked out of the Champions League right there that night. They're still virtually out unless Victoria Pilsen do Barcelona the ultimate favour. And even though they're only three points off the top of La Liga, gee, that, that Champions League windfall that they needed to back up their huge financial gambles over the summer with the transfer window, it seems as though the house of cards is coming down already. Yeah, um, and, and we knew. We were talking about it on a, on a previous uh, gagging part, and, and uh, it was a huge financial gamble from, from the outset, you know, selling off the, the future TV rights um, and also sell, selling part of their media company you know, to fund this uh, new resurgence and all these players. And, you know, the Champions League is a big part of it. You know, they, they need to be there. And, and, you know, if I'm honest, I, I can't see them getting back in this group. I, I can't see them finishing in the top two. I think they're still, you can see they're not a team yet. I think, especially at the back, I think they're, you know, they're, they're not quite as strong as, as some of the other teams, especially Real Madrid. Um, and they got a lesson as well from Inter, I thought, in the Champions League, the game they should have won. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, I fear for them. Um, I fear for, for Xavi as well, you know, because 
you know, when things start to, to mount there, it, it can be a total mess as we've seen in the past. And, um, you know, I hope for it because we need Barcelona, like we've seen with this El Clasico. It, it, it's a fantastic occasion. It, it's, a, it's those memories I remember as a kid growing up watching those games with all the big players and, and you won those games. But, you know, Barcelona, hopefully they'll still be there in three or four years time. I think for me, um, you know, the bounce back and we all expected big things for Barcelona after their summer of signings and their injection of money. Um, and I think the the latter probably has been a little bit deceiving because obviously they're sitting up the top. They've had the best attack, um, only conceding the one goal. But then we look and we go, why was that? And if you have a look at six of their seven wins during the beginning of the season came against sides from the bottom half. So has it been that they've actually had, you know, not an easier run, but probably a little bit of an, uh, you know, an easier time of it coming back into this. You know, it was 1v2 on the ladder. In saying that, though, when they played Real, they had more possession, they had more chances, um, but they just ultimately weren't as efficient with the ball and successful. And, um, you know, Ancelotti's team were pretty ruthless. Pressure's coming on Xavi. Uh, do we think he's going to see out the season? I mean, they're still in contention to win La Liga, but if they do crash out of, of Europe, the pressure's on to go on a deep UEFA or Europa League run as well because they'll need the gates and they'll need the prize money. So it's just going to keep the fixture list equally busy, you would suggest. And Amy, do you think there's any risk that you know they've tried to replicate what they've done with Pep Guardiola by taking Xavi from uh, Qatar where he was coaching and just hoping that his knowledge of Barcelona and sort of the DNA will see him through? But is this going to backfire? I really hope it doesn't. I don't have the answer to that. What I can say is I think he needs to really concentrate like one of the differences I thought between Real Madrid and Barcelona in that game was the maturity of the middle of the park um, you know we put a lot of pressure really when you think about it on, on an 18 year old in the centre of the park to to run a team and um, he has to pick these players up now because you know after the game against Inter and after this loss they still have some really tough fixtures coming up they play Villarreal, Bilbao Bayern Munich and Valencia you know all in pretty quick succession Um what happens to him if they don't have money? What happens if they can't buy and sell? I, I think he's just going to put pressure on it. It doesn't help that the the I don't know that the environment around Barcelona isn't isn't that great. We've had you know rumours still swirling about poor old Frankie Dijon. Uh, he's f- fighting rumour after rumour. Um, I just really think they've just got to get back to basics, you know, block out all the noise and just get out there and get the job done. I think the good thing was that Laporte uh, yesterday or the day before was was out pretty quick and and supported him. Uh, So it wasn't sort of left lingering out there in the air of, you know, is he staying, is he going? I think they they were pretty good. Uh, Not that it's, uh, you know, it's a big... uh, you know, we've seen in the past uh, chairmen's coming out <laughs> supporting managers, but I think they, they want him desperately to succeed for sure. Now, let's talk about the positives for Real Madrid because not only did they win the game, Karim Benzema was then crowned the men's Ballon d'Or winner and Fede Valverde, the Uruguayan midfielder, he's been named by his teammate Tony Kroos as one of the best three players in the world and he's having an outstanding season. So, Tommy, Real Madrid, they, they go from strength to strength. Of course, they hold the Champions League. They're the defending La Liga winners. Can you see even the hintest uh, sort of doubt hanging over them at the moment? No, I think uh, they're doing a, a tremendous job. Uh, I think they've got a great balance of, of obviously, excitement. You know, you talked about Benzema, who, who deservedly won the Ballon d'Or. you got Vinicius, who's been on top form. And then, yeah, uh, touch on Valverde. I think the transformation he's had in this last year has, has been unbelievable. 
football uh, from being a fringe player uh, to changing his lifestyle and uh, and his training regime to to being the player he is now he's, he's uh, I think and I agree with Tony Kroos that he is one of the best players um, you know midfielders in the world right now uh, five goals this season I think he's been instrumental in what Real Madrid has done you know, I think they're just tactically astute as well. They've got a, an experienced manager and you could see that even in, in, in the El Clasico, you know, as, as Amy said, you know, they didn't have the most possession, but they were just ruthless and, and clinical. Uh, and I think that's where they are right now. They're just, you know, a, a superb team front to back. We'll leave La Liga there and move on to the WSL because perhaps for the wrong reasons, the competition made global headlines this week. We thought it was going to be because Mackenzie Arnold, the Matildas goalie, had saved a penalty in the game between West Ham and Aston Villa. Sadly, it's because the French international Hawa Sissoko got sent off for fighting with Sarah Mailing and then West Ham's manager, Paul Koncheski, the former Charlton player who also scored in a, an FA Cup final, he got sent off. Amy, not scenes you like to see, and, and I know that uh, on Optus Sports, the highlights, Amy Harrison and uh, Claudio Fabiano were having a, a good old laugh about how in, in that situation, uh, Sarah Mailing kept her feet where a men's player may have gone tumbling, but gee, it's, it's, it's not what you want to see. Uh, I, my eyes were popping out of my head when I saw it and I then at first I didn't know whether to laugh or whether to cry. Um, definitely not the headline you want in the women's game at all. But, uh, you know, it was a bit of a tussle and you, you can watch it back, of course, in the highlights and Optus Sport, but um, it was a bit of a tussle. Obviously, there was some words said because the players were separated and then they came at each other and I think, you know, Mailing was probably the aggressor in this uh, in this confrontation and then um, it just... It, yeah, it just went all out. And uh, watching it on replay, I thought she punched her at first and it looks like it was a bit more of an open-handed slap, but it still didn't look comfortable, nice, and not scenes you want. And the worst part of this is it wasn't as simple as giving a player a red card and sending them off. It actually continued as she made her way off the field. Um, she then got stuck into the bench, which I think is where uh, Koncheski, you know, got into a bit of uh, a verbal stoush as well. He went at it in the dugout with Rachel Daly. I was like, man man, this is getting like way too big and not great scenes. And it, yes, you're right. It would have been much nicer just to watch Mackenzie Arnold saving that penalty from Alicia Lehman over and over and over again. Rachel Daly, who Amy's mentioned there, to her credit, she was coming in trying to be one of the peacemakers. But when someone totally sees red and loses their mind and just wants to turn it into a fight rather than a football game, uh, were you the sort of goalie that would run up to the pack and drag players away as a peacemaker? Or what do you even do in that situation when you're confronted by someone who's just totally lost it? Tommy just picked them both <laughs> up by the collar and held them apart because he was so sh- tall and has such a wingspan. Yeah, I just shook him and said, just stop it. <laughs> now, um, I think, you know, it's, it's a bit of both. I think, first of all, you want to protect your teammates. You know, that, that's that's the number one. And then, But you also don't want them to do something stupid. So, it's, uh, I think, you know, you're always trying to get in the middle of it and get your player away you know get them calmed down and you know they, they, you know the types in, in your dressing room that you know when provoked see red and stop thinking and, and, and start fighting uh, so uh, it, there tend to be a, a lot of people alert around those sort of characters and, and, and try to keep them keep them away but yeah probably more a peacemaker than a, than a fighter uh, but if it came to it, I'll, I would shove a, I'll shove people around as well, like Amy said, for sure. <laughs> and, and Amy, Sissoko was part of France's squad for the Euros, but I don't think saw a minute of action. So it was, was very much a depth player. And I guess, what a, what a West Ham do in this situation? Only the second time she's been sent off 
in the WSL. So it's not like this is happening on a, a super regular occasion. But do, do you actually, in a sense, if there's a bit of... Was co- the other time for fighting as well? No, I need the, to understand the this. The other time was not for fighting. But <laughs> okay. um, do, if Sissoko shows a bit of contrition, do the teammates actually say, well, you know, everyone's going to be scared and we walk a bit taller with, with uh, Sissoko out there? Ah, well, they're firstly going to have to find a replacement for the time she's going to sit on the bench. That's your first struggle, isn't it? This can go two ways. And um, in this instance, I feel like her team will probably be upset at her. Uh, um, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I've had red cards where your team is all around you because it was for the right reasons. And then I've had stupid red cards where, or one stupid red card where my team and my coach literally didn't speak to me for days because they were so disappointed at the stupidity. So uh, I don't know what the sentiment's going to be in in that change room um, and in that environment. But um, yeah, there's... You can't be lashing out like that, especially in retaliation. She really, you know, she did lose a call and she probably needed to be the bigger player at the time. What did you do? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the best thing about this is? She slapped someone. There's no vision of it. <laughs> I did not slap anyone. Um, I've, I've never punched anyone on the field, I don't believe. Um, the, the best bit about this is there's no vision, so you won't be able to find it. Fair enough. Because they never used to record our games. Fair, fair enough. But uh, no, if you're not willing to share, maybe we'll hear it another We'll keep another that one time. for another day. All right. <laughs> uh, other good news, largely surrounding Australians. Claire Wheeler wasn't part of the latest Matilda squad, but she's made her evident debut now, 25 minutes off the bench, albeit in a 3-1 loss to Chelsea. And uh, kind of um, uh, really seriously... Emma Hayes missed the game with emergency surgery, but was still able to relay messages to the Chelsea bench as they went on to win. Emma Hayes, of course, one of the best coaches in football at the moment, the uh, the manager of Chelsea. But, gee, you know, that would have been a, a real health scare. And I guess the good news is that the team weren't rattled by her absence and also her health crisis. Yeah, I think one of the things about Emma is the system that she set up at the club and the support staff um, and support that they have around them at the club. So, uh, you know, during COVID times, we obviously went through this as well quite often uh, in the the men's game we see coaches sent off and, and you know we've just seen that also in the WSL so you have to learn to adapt um, Chelsea will be fine uh, Emma will um, have no doubt be watching every moment uh, of as much as she can from home I just wish her all the best for a speedy recovery and to have her back out there on the sidelines uh, as far as Claire Wheeler goes how awesome um, to have made the transition to Everton obviously and to get minutes because this is one of the, the big risks that we take now when we move overseas is making sure that we're, we are going to get minutes even though you're playing in a top league you need to ensure that you're going to get minutes are you better to play in the top league and um, and get less minutes or are you better to play in a slightly less league and get lots more minutes this is the conundrum that players are facing so I'm just really stoked to see her on the pitch she's so cool and calm and composed um, I have no doubt that she'll cement herself in their starting 11 uh, as time goes on. And other Matildas, Steph Catley played 90 minutes and Caitlin Ford 66 as Arsenal beat Reading 1-0. You can watch the mini-match, of course, on Optus Sport. And uh, last topic of the WSL, Liverpool lost 1-0 to Tottenham, but Jilly Flaherty came out, or Flaherty came out and made a, a very emotional post about being abused by her own team's fans. And Amy, this is a, a really tough situation because uh, Flaherty actually made the point of saying, I, I can ignore what comes from the opponents and the opposition, but it, it really cuts deep to be abused on social media by your own fans. 
Yeah, I, I think um, absolutely you can take it from the opposition, but when it's coming from within what's supposed to be your house and your core support, that's really difficult. Uh, I think her tweet you know, went along the lines of joining a new team in the first place is hard, so let's set the scene and remember that she's you know, new to this squad, but you also need to know that she's a, she's a mental health campaigner. Um, she went through a really tough time as a teenager and actually attempted suicide and has been open about this from what I can read. Um, and as you said, she doesn't care about the opposition fans doing it, but when it's your own fans, it's obviously hit, uh, you know, hit internally and struck a chord with her. I think the big message to come out of this is there's a lot going on on social media at the moment, and it's not always, well, it's not always lovely. And um, people need to be mindful that they don't understand the background or the history or what their comments. Uh, the effect that their comments are going to have. Um, and it's been really good to see some of the big names across Australia, but also in other sports, pushing back on this now and just saying it's absolutely not acceptable. Thomas, in your career, did the fans ever come for you? Because I, I suppose there would have been internet message boards, social media was probably still in its fledgling years um, towards the back end of, of your career. But did you ever have a, a noticeable campaign, whether it was chance or whether it was even face-to-face feedback where fans were after you or, or were you always the, the type of player that was able to perhaps just play in a way that meant you were never a target for the boo boys? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for short stints, you you know, I've had it. Uh, I felt it, you know, after, you know, it could be after just a bad game. Uh, you would have, uh, you know, people shouting not so nice things and, uh, and, and even from your, from your own fans. Uh, luckily, like overall, I, I've had a, a great time at, at all my clubs. Um, so, so it's, it's you know criticism. You, you can't say that you're not, you know, you know the people are not allowed to give you criticism. I think that's that's one thing. But there's a line, uh, and I think it has changed, like Amy said, with social media, and and people feel they can just hide behind and 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 really do horrible things. And and this is just not okay. Um, you know, so so there, there's a line between do you get booed at the ground? Uh, for some reason, um, or, or or is it a personal attack on you and your family? Uh, you know that that's that's where the line has to be drawn, um, and, and you know hopefully you know you know we, we get some sort of control over this at, at some point. And I think the other point to make is as a player, I don't think there's well I don't know about you, Tommy, but I don't think there's anyone harder on your own performance than yourself. Most elite athletes are pretty um, are pretty tough on themselves, and you know will be the first ones to know where they've done wrong or where it's not pretty or where they've had a bad game or where they're in a drought. They already know that, and to have that yeah that heat piled on from the people around you that should be trying to change that and lift you up and and make you better would be would be really tough. Well, we are currently in the midst of a midweek round of Premier League, a midweek round of La Liga, and we've got the DFB Pokal going all live through the midweek on Optus Sports. So rather than a weekend preview to finish for men's football, just quickly, this weekend in the WSL, uh, Spurs taking on Manchester United at 9.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday, Liverpool versus Arsenal, 10pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time Sunday, so a couple of friendlier kickoff times there. But Amy, how worried should the Brighton defence be about the visit of Sam Kerr's Chelsea 4.45am <laughs> Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. If you were going to get up early on Monday morning, surely it would be to watch Sam Kerr's response first time out on the field after missing out on the Ballon d'Or. What is the Brighton defence going to have to deal with on Monday morning? 
Well, does she need any more motivation? I'm just calling this game Guaranteed Goals, Tay, and I will be getting up to watch it and cannot wait uh, to see how many they actually put away. Amy, thank you for joining us on the Gegen Pod this week. Thanks for having me. And Thomas Sorensen, thanks as always for your insights as well. Always a pleasure. So thank you to Amy Duggan and thank you to Thomas Sorensen. And as we just mentioned, yes, we are in a feast of midweek football at the moment. The DFB Pakal has kicked off on Optus Sport. See Dortmund's trip to Hanover and the Aussie connections at St. Pauli taking on Freiburg on Thursday at 3am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Bayern Munich play Augsburg at 5.35am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and check out the Optus Sport website and app for all the live fixtures. Premier League continues with five Thursday games, including Liverpool against West Ham from 5.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and Manchester United hosting Tottenham from 6.15 Australian Eastern Daylight Time. La Liga continues on Thursday with four games, including Real Madrid's trip to Elche at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and don't miss Barcelona hosting Villarreal on Friday at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Regardless of where you get the podcast, make sure to rate us five stars and subscribe. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for joining us on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pop. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.